Radical, episode 207. Welcome to Radical, ladies and gents. I'm your host, Shade Hazel. Thank you guys for being here. I love you guys so much. Jesus Christ. All this stuff you guys send me, um, I've got a great little piece for you guys today. I say little. It's probably going to take me the entire time, maybe even a little bit longer to get through this one. Um, but it does look like uh, at the end of the week, maybe if you are in Miami, I'll see you. Uh, the Bitcoin conference is going on down there. It starts today. Uh, it is uh, early on, what's it, April 6th, and um, a lot of people are meeting down there. This is, uh, I think, I heard the other day, this is the first time they have sold out just the industry day for uh, Bitcoin. I mean, that's huge. Uh, the fact that they are selling out the entire industry day, packed house, no more seats, uh, it, it means that people are finally getting into the space as entrepreneurs. And I think that's, I mean, I'd be lying if I hadn't thought about it uh, and maybe started working that way. But at any rate, uh, I hope you guys are good. hope you're having a, a great week despite all the, the craziness out there. Uh, I've got a piece here today by Politico. And thanks to uh, my guys over in the uh, the Georgia Mises Caucus, especially Nick Soselski, big shout, man. Uh, all of these guys, Jeff, Jake, man, um, Zach, you guys do so much for uh, the Mises Caucus here in Georgia, uh, not to mention just the Libertarian Party. Uh, let's face it, you guys are you know pulling people in. You've got onboarding going on all the time. And uh, I, I think, I mean, hats off to anybody and everybody that's, that's kicking ass out there. I'm not going to get into any of the drama uh that I'm, I'm done like i i can't stand it especially like on a on a twitter format uh i think there's a lot of other ways to approach something if you want to be successful in terms of a resolution in terms of giving other people the benefit of the doubt like i god almighty like i know there are some people that are into murder and theft and coercion that are you know not libertarians right like I understand, you know, you don't have to give those guys the benefit of the doubt, but, um, with people who have been in this fight for a long time, man, like, it's just, it's one of those things where you're like, well, guys, you can, you know, all of you guys have followings. You're all leaders in this thing. And it's like, get it together, get offline, talk about it and, um, and, and come to some resolutions or, you know, maybe some people need help. I don't know. Here I am not talking about what I said I'm not going to talk about. So anyway, uh, today I've got uh, this this hit piece by Politico. It's uh, called Ron Paul's Revenge. His political revolution sputtered. Then his disciples found cryptocurrency. Now they want to force Washington to finally grapple with his strange ideas. And by strange ideas, <laughs> it is strange indeed to them to talk about your independence from the system, your independence from government, your ability to take care of the needs of your life by yourself, with your family, with your neighbors, with your community, localized and decentralized. They think that, you know, most of America is made up of nothing but a bunch of backwoods hicks that don't know shit about life. Warning, I swear in this show. Um, if you're new, you're all welcome. You all know that, though. At, uh, at any rate, that's what they think. That's what these out-of-touch bazillionaires on the East and West Coast in both the Republican and Democrat parties. I mean, that's the thing is, I, I couldn't tell you, you know, uh, the, the 
the author of this, I don't know if they are, I don't, I don't know. I haven't done anything in terms of research on who the author is. And that's the thing is you can look at both Republicans and Democrats in this space, in the space of Bitcoin, in the space of crypto, and they are not synonymous. They're not, um, if, if you, if you're new to Bitcoin, I'm going to tell you right now, um, I am, I'm here for you. I, I, this is, this is why I've kind of looked at this. I've, I've said before, this is our vehicle to decentralization. This is the driving force behind anything and everything that Liberty can do. We're never going to fix this in government. They're never going to let us win elections. Hell, they're not going to let us in most elections in the state of Georgia. Bitcoin, the revolution of a of a currency that is decentralized, that is separated from state. Money separated from state. It's not something you ever heard. It's always religion and state. It should have been money and state. Government's a religion at this point. It's a it's a fucking murder cult, right? Like we we all know how bad these people are. They are liars, they are thieves, they are murderers. They should never have centralized money under Liars and murderers and thieves. No way, no how, ever. The uh, the guy that wrote this, Ben, uh, let's see, Schreckinger? Yeah, Schreckinger. Uh, it was written on uh, the 5th of April. And um, he is, I guess he covers tech and finance and politics. <laughs> For a guy that covers tech and finance, uh, he's fucking clueless. Uh, I'll tell you that. But we're going to get into it. So the... Uh, the, the illustrator, uh, Michael, uh, Michael, or, or no, Michelle, sorry, Michelle, <laughs> I need to put my glasses on. Uh, Michelle Roan uh, for Politico did this uh, GIF kind of, I guess it's got uh, Bitcoin in the background. It's all linked together, decentralized. And then it's got Ron Paul beautifully painted with uh, what looks like tractor beams. It's the only thing I like, I guess they, uh, wanted them to be laser eyes they could have just put laser eyes on them but instead uh they put like these like tractor beams coming down from his eyes instead of lasers so anyway let's get into this article the ron paul revolution as the texas congressman's zealous followers called it racked up delegates and riled the republican establishment over the course of two disruptive insurgent presidential primary campaigns his crusade which animated libertarians by demanding an end to the federal reserve system and a return to the gold standard turned out a failure oh did it they didn't want him to have any power at all they wanted him to fade off into nothing. And I will tell you right now, the Mises Caucus in the Libertarian Party is absolutely the Ron Paul revolution. This is all the guys from 2008, 2012, that were in Ron Paul's camp where we got kicked out of the uh, delegation uh, for president. They wouldn't cover him. They blacked him out. They left him out of polls. I know this extremely well from running both as a Republican and as a Libertarian. If they hear you talking about liberty, they hear you talking about rights, they talk about independence, they talk about you know Austrian economics, you're done. They're never going to fucking cover you, ever. I don't care if you have millions of dollars like Dr. Paul. And then, and then here, may, maybe a little inside baseball for you guys. That's why I try not to take tons and tons of mo money, like from... You know, people like people are like, oh yeah, Hazel's a grifter, dude. 
I didn't take any money during the U.S. Senate campaign. I spent nothing. I got 2.3% of the vote. Because I know what they're going to do. I know what these zealots for the system are going to do. I don't care if they're in finance. I don't care if they're in press. I don't care if they're in propaganda. I I don't care. They're going to black you out. They did it to Ron Paul, a congressman who was pro-peace, who was Austrian as Austrian gets in terms of economics, independence, liberty. I mean, the guy was just an absolute wrecking ball for the system, and they knew it. And so if they can black out and get rid of Ron Paul, I mean, Jesus Christ, you think anybody else really stands a giant chance even if they do raise millions of dollars? No. Like that, that, that criticism of people that don't go out and take tons of people's money, man, I don't understand it. I don't understand how you're going to sit there and call them, you know, grifters and hustlers and like all. I like people who hustle. I like people who fight for liberty. I love people that fight for Austrian economics. Like to learn all of this kind of stuff, it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, thousands. And then to put your name in the in in the hat, so to speak, get be the man in the ring, and then take all the slings and arrows from people. Man, I you got my respect. I listen. I I'm not going to agree with everything anybody ever says or runs on, but uh, for for men like Ron Paul to go out there and absolutely get beat up at the highest levels possible, to still have people like Ben Schreckinger over here at Politico write this fucking piece. It's crazy to me. All right, that's enough preface. I'm going to get back into it, but. But a cadre of his revolutionaries remained undeterred, and soon they found another way to disrupt the global monetary system. <laughs> because it needed a lot of help, right? Uh, that that system on the U.S. dollar without anything backing that garbage note uh, was... It, it's due time has come. They became evangelists of a new kind of computer software that mimicked Paul's beloved gold and was inspired by the same economic theories that informed his activism. Over the past decade, Paul's accolades, including the co-founder of the world's second largest cryptocurrency and an aide to the Senate top Bitcoin advocate, have gone on to win far more victories from the computer code than they ever did at the ballot box. I wonder why. I'm going to... Like, I'm going to interrupt this. I don't know if I'll get all the way through or not. I have no idea. But we're going to talk about this. Why are they winning victories for the computer code? Because the government doesn't have control of it. And the government can't have control of Bitcoin. Can they have control of every other cryptocurrency? Yes. Every other cryptocurrency has a failure because it's centralized. I'm going to tell you right now, if it is not Bitcoin... And they have a, like, I don't know, a board, that's a problem. If they have people who can control the code, that's a problem. You can't change the code for Bitcoin. You can't. I mean, you would destroy everything it is to date if you could change the code. And that's why Bitcoin is kicking ass. It's because you can't change it. All right, back to the article. Oh, well, I'm going to say it. Anyway. I'm going to say a couple more things. The reason they have far more victories is because the 
Bitcoin doesn't care how you come to it. Bitcoin is the same set of rules for everybody. That is not the case with voting in America. It is not the case for politics in America. It is completely slanted to a duopoly. You have the people who are pushing us into absolute tyranny and despotism, and their lackeys who just go along to get along, who never put up a fight, and even when they are in power, they lose. Period. We have been moving towards complete despotism since the very inception of the United States, period. Read the Anti-Federalist. Or you can go back and listen to my shows on the Anti-Federalist. They're everywhere. Back to the article. Their objective is to pry control of money away from the state, an audacious goal that flies in the face of a century of American monetary policy. Uh, audacious. To remove money from thieves and murderers and just absolute corrupt bureaucrats the corporations they bail out and their fucking banks that have been behind every war in, I don't know, probably the, uh, the late 18th, all of the 19th century and to date to pry money away from the state. Oh, it's audacious. Oh my God. Now with crypto going mainstream and official inflation figures hitting 40 year highs, they, they say that Washington will have no choice but to contend with an economic vision that once seemed destined for obscurity. Quote, I thought I threw my life away, chasing the Federal Reserve. People thought I was crazy, said Nick Spanos, former director of voter contact for Paul turned pro-Bitcoin agitator. When I realized that Bitcoin couldn't get destroyed on election day, and I finally had an instrument against this, a weapon for my battle, then I threw everything I had behind Bitcoin. Spano's journey and the links between the crypto movement and Paul Revolution demonstrate the, demonstrate the extent to which the cryptocurrency debate is about more than investments. To Spanos and his, his ilk, Spanos and his ilk, ah, I love it. <laughs> the technology is a tool to reduce government power, especially that of the U.S. federal government. What a fucking chill. Dude, this guy. Ben Schreckinger. What a piece of garbage. You're going to call, you know, a bunch of people who are pushing for delinking um, the U.S. from money. It's a fucking murder cult. A ilk? You see how this guy's motivated? It's unbelievable. Spanos has found allies in the unlikeliest of places. During one 2017 trip to Caracas, he was whisked under cover of darkness to a military compound and given a surprise audience with the country's president, Nicolas Maduro. For Spanos and his fellow travelers, it was just one sign that the world was coming around to the heterodox views. So, he's going to sit here and call us ilk. He's going to talk about, you know, this, this guy who's talking about removing murderers and thieves from a, um, from, from money as ilk and how he is finding unlikely allies. That's, that's crazy. If you if heterodox is is uh, oh, 
is an adjective. It's a contrary to a different form of acknowledged standard, a traditional form of established religion, right? And so he's he's saying that, oh, this is completely an antithetical to these bigots, basically, right? Like all all the what they would say, you know, Ron Paul and the bigots, and how we are we're all, you know, uh, you know, we just want to bring everything home. We don't want to trade with anybody. We just want to be insulated against the world, withdraw from foreign policy. And all, like, no, that's not what we've ever said. We've always said we want to trade. In fact, the government with its sanctions and ITAR and bullshit, State Department, every, like all of these people, these are the people that are all about force and coercion around the world. There are imaginary lines on maps. Listen, I believe in private property. I do. And I think those are your borders. I think most people realize your borders are are that and that alone. Now, if your community wants to have broader borders or combined borders and that private property, that works. I don't understand why this debate is so hard for even libertarians. I don't. But to to sit here and and have these self-owns, these oof moments for this bastard. Ben, like you you don't understand us at all. You've sit here you, you you'll sit here along with the rest of the propaganda and call people that are in the Ron Paul revolution uh, you know, bigots and backwards, but really they're just trying to find common ground with anybody. Like if we can find an issue to help push on I don't care if it's Republicans or Democrats I don't care you know who it is if it leads to more freedom then let's go that's that's the Ron Paul revolution that's why it's so dangerous to these people back to the article it's no wonder that years after his quixotic presidential quest became a punchline their patron saint feels certain that he will have the last laugh quote I'm more convinced than ever a downright giddy Paul told Politico magazine, and our numbers are growing. Yeah, they are. And guess who that's not because of? That's not because of the rest of the LP. That's definitely not because of the Republican Party. It's definitely not because of the Republicans or Democrats. It's not because of anybody in the propaganda machines. These people were absolutely 100% against him the entire way. It is a small faction of very agitated, fed up people from all walks of life. And that's the thing, man, around Paul, the Ron Paul revolution, I don't care if you were a businessman. I don't care if you were a stoner. I don't care if you were a Buddhist. I don't care if you were a Christian, an atheist. I don't care. When you looked out across crowds of people for for liberty, for independence, for Ron Paul and the revolution, man, you had the probably the greatest cross-section of America that had one thing and one thing only in common. Independence, liberty, Austrian economics, peace, consent. That That's Ron Paul. It's, it's on, I don't know. Standing, the next subtitle is Standing Alone. Let's get into this. In the beginning... It was a revolution of one. Paul was born in Pittsburgh in 1935 and attended Duke Medical School. He served as a flight surgeon in the Air Force in the 1960s and relocated to 
uh, what is it, Brazoria County outside of Houston on on the Gulf of Mexico, where he worked as an obstetrician, a baby doctor, people. Uh, Anyway, uh, he, I should say obstetrician, basically, uh, not a baby doctor, that for, I say that like that because Ron Paul delivered babies, right? Like that, that's what he did. Um, I don't know. I obstetrician, they still call him that gynecologist. I don't know. I don't know if they're the same or not. <laughs> I should be more careful. Maybe, uh, maybe one's more, uh, dedicated to just delivering babies. Anyway, he became known locally for delivering many of the country's babies, uh, he, or county's babies. And he also was known as a fierce critic of the American monetary policy. Paul was a fan of Ludwig von Mises, a Ukrainian born intellectual who held a prominent place in the permanently out of fashion Austrian school of economics, out of fashion, um, out of fashion with the murderers and thieves. The, the the people that wanted to borrow from tomorrow and the next generation so that they could live better today. That's who he was out of fashion with. That's who he's still out of fashion with. That's why we're all out of fashion with these people. You can't borrow against tomorrow. And the the kids who've not even been born yet, have who have no say, you're borrowing against their future and everything that you do in Keynesian economics out of fashion please god darn man like this guy just makes it so easy the school emphasizes a role of individuals and is suspicious of state power its methodology eschews data in favor of thought experiments since its birth in the late 18th century it has sat far outside of mainstream economic thought yeah because when you can just print money out of thin air you can do whatever the hell you want the biggest scammers in history are those people, the Keynesians. Oh, let's just print our own currency out of thin air. It'll be it'll be worth nothing, pegged to nothing, or we'll get them started down this path with something like pegging it to gold or the, the you know to energy in terms of the petrol reserve dollar. That is falling apart. What they've done is they've primed us. They've primed people to accept Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin the first, I think one of the first arenas it's going to take over is going to be the energy arena. Absolutely. I think gas stations are going to be some of the first places to take Bitcoin. Call me crazy, but uh, as Russia and China and the Middle East and the rest of the world, especially the Eastern world, which is kind of like one continuous landmass with a lot of petroleum, when, when they unpeg from the dollar and if Putin and people alike are accepting Bitcoin as payment, you've just unseated the petrol dollar. For those of you guys who don't know what that means, like that's the only thing that gives the U.S. dollar any worth whatsoever. And honestly, if they wanted to unpeg from it, they could probably do it fairly soon. Lightning still, uh, the Lightning Network still getting worked out in terms of transactions, but for small cases and I mean like small transactions like paying for gas, which I know is getting to be a larger transactions uh, transaction these days, but that's going to change and it's going to change fast. You know, people aren't going to sit there and continue to pay, uh, I don't know, eight, ten dollars for a gallon of gas. It's, it's going to get nuts. Even its name, Austrian, 
connotated its backwater status in the world of German-speaking economists, the equivalent of a group of New York art critics decisively terming one or some con- contemporary art movement the Topeka School. I don't know what that means. But the Austrians had a way of attracting fanatical followers. Paul became one. He grew enamored with the gold standard, and he developed a deep enmity for the Federal Reserve, the epitome of the state's power over the economy. Well, at least he understands. Like, the Federal Reserve not being federal, not really being a bank, just being a bunch of people that uh, eventually digitize dollars to the trillions. Like That's, that's where all the power rests, the banking cabal. So it was 1971 when Richard Nixon shocked the world by severing the tie between the dollar and gold, which was a default, people. I want you guys to understand. In 1971, when Richard Nixon did this, it was an absolute default on the dollar. America defaulted. They've defaulted in the over the past, but that was a default. Few Americans were more incensed than Paul. From there, the doctor found himself increasingly drawn to politics. He is uh, pictured on this truck. Um, it's Ron Paul, and it is uh, a couple other congressmen on here as well. Uh, and I will note, uh, let's see, did they even name? No, they didn't. They didn't name. They didn't name the other guy. Um the other guy is a Democrat, and he's from Georgia. He was from the Georgia 7th District. Um, golly, and his, his name is escaping me right now. He's a great guy. Um, <clears throat> it's weird. You know, back in the day um, when this guy was talking about debt down here, um, you know, $4 billion, I think, is what they have on the sign right there. $4 billion is uh, simulated Fort Knox gold bricks. That's basically what what they were talking about in terms of the U.S. debt. They're on back of a, a tractor trailer truck with a bunch of bricks uh, that kind of, I guess, illustrate how much debt the country was in in terms of gold. And it's, uh, it's right in front of the Capitol. Really cool picture. I'll link all this in my notes. In 1974, he mounted a run for Congress but lost. When the incumbent vacated the seat, Paul won a special election to, to serve out the remaining nine months of the term. He took a seat on the banking committee, which... He mounted a lonely stand against a bill that would allow the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, to sell part of its gold holdings to finance international aid. Paul held up the bill for about a month, but it, but it became law, another blow to the gold-backed monetary order the Texas congressman revered. Thus began a, dis, a decades-long crusade to restore the gold standard and convince an indifferent nation to revolt against the Federal Reserve, way ahead of his time. The fact that, as a congressman, he was doing this, unbelievable. Excuse me. I'm having a little coffee early this morning. As he sought re-election for a full term, that fall, Paul took the issue with him onto the campaign trail. Stopping at the Woodlake uh, Center, he regaled senior citizens with his views about the difference between honest gold-backed money and dishonest, which was backed by nothing but politicians. With the nation still reeling from Watergate and sound money, policy was not a priority of most voters, and Paul lost narrowly to his Democratic challenger. 
He won the seat back two years later and served three terms in the House before retiring to pursue a failed Senate bid. In 1988, he ran for president of the Libertarian ticket, or on the Libertarian ticket, and the campaign drew a distinctive malign of far-right Libertarian and just plain out-there supporters. Uh, this That's the thing is, we we welcome everybody in this space. You know, and that's the thing is I've been to GOP stuff. I've seen the DNC stuff. Everybody is buttoned up. Everybody has suits and pantsuits and dresses and blazers. And they are as tight as a drum and they're full of shit. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, it's basically a turd wrapped in a suit. Minus the great people that come into the Libertarian Party. You know, we might be a little different, but it's because we don't care about what other people think of us. And we're all about live and let live. That's, I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain that to people is when you, when you see, um, who the clientele is and how buttoned up they are, how they've got, you know, just, you know, if you're not wearing, I don't know, collared button up shirt or something like that, you're probably going to get kicked out of some of these places. That's not how we roll in the libertarian party at all. Um, we're, we're all about some comfort. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of hanging out in conventions and things like that. Uh, anyway, um, among the supporters uh, was an LSD pioneer, Timothy Leary, who hosted Paul as a special guest at an event in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles titled High Tech Psychology, Demonstrations of Self-Change Appliances. So they're like, oh yeah, man, just, just the druggies hanging out with Ron Paul. Like, come on, guys. Ron Paul makes peaceful people, not criminals. That's, that's, that's the admission in that last paragraph. Peaceful people. The things that I talk about on this show all the time. The things that people in the Mises, talk is, the Mises Caucus talk about all the time. We shouldn't be criminalizing peaceful people. And you'll get Republicans especially. They're doing drugs, blah, blah, blah. They'll ruin your community. I don't want to pay for that. Well, I don't think you should pay for it. And here's the thing is if they break into your house, if they assault you, or if they come after you, you have every right to defend yourself. And you should. But to say drugs will ruin your life and then have somebody with a badge and a gun take a peaceful person who has their shit together who has a family, who has kids, who has a house, who has a dog, who's got it all worked out. There's a, there's a book out there, Do Drugs Like an Adult. Like, they're responsible. It's like drinking a beer, you know, when they get home. Maybe they have some cannabis. I don't know. Maybe they eat some mushrooms here and there. I don't know. I have no idea. If they're peaceful, unlike alcohol, they should be left alone. Obviously, a smear piece. The Ron Paul rabbit hole. Paul returned to the House uh, in the Clinton era. In March of 2007, he launched a second presidential bid, this time as a Republican primary. To the extent that, vote, uh, that voters were aware of Paul, many associated him with a lunatic fringe. Uh, well, that's how he was painted by the media and especially the Republicans. As it emerged... He published a series of little-noticed newsletters with names like Ron Paul Political Report uh, during his time in the public life. 
the newsletters were full of racist, homophobic, and conspiratorial content. They warned of a coming race war and the influence of the homosexual lobby while encouraging anti-government militia activity. Boy, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. Paul disavowed the most incendiary items, which were largely unsigned and denied personal authoring, denied personally authoring them. Um, he, let's talk, encouraged anti-government militia activity. Um, anybody that owns weapons can be part of a militia. The fact that we're talking about anti-liars and thieves and murderers and bureaucrats and people that live off of other people for a living is not wild. It's just common sense. You know, working for working for other people that don't provide a good or service through consent to the market. Those are bad people. They're government. They're, they're government people. I mean, that's it. That's all. I. I mean, that's it. The coming race war. I mean, are you kidding? He was calling. Basically, he's calling out everybody that's pushing race. That's what this crowd has talked about. The race war, the identity politics, that's not the Libertarian Party in terms of the Mises Caucus. It's not, I don't think it's most of the, I don't think it's the Libertarian Party. Period. It's not Ron Paul. Ron Paul wasn't pushing it. Ron Paul could find the same single, you know, voter issue and get together with anybody on it. He proved it. He did it. The coming race war was what he saw D.C., the bureaucrats, the media, and academia pushing. The homosexual lobby. You think there's not a homosexual lobby? You think that a lot of what's come to light in recent days hasn't come because of what was specifically being said by some people in this lobby? You're crazy. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that this is all of homosexuals. It's not. Jesus Christ. Like, it's it's lobbyists. It's the people that have a ton of money that want to see an agenda pushed. And a lot of what those people pushed in terms of, I don't know, being groomers now, you know, like, that was it. Like, and, and I, man, I tell you what, I, I hope that this, you know, the the LGB crowd out there really starts to distance themselves from these fucking pedos. Right? The people that are pushing for kids to take pills to change their bodies in a in, like natural development, like that's different. That's not like to sit here and and you know say that Ron Paul and his followers were lunatics and then have in the same breath, like the people pushing and talking, you know, like the fact that they were talking about, you know, changing sex of children. You can't make those, those decisions. It's, 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 in, it's just disingenuous. I mean, it is a flat out lie to sit here in, in paint, Ron Paul and the Ron Paul army, the revolutionaries, 
as anti-homosexual. It's, it's the dumbest thing ever. Or anti, you know, anti, I don't know. Like the fact that we are the ones pushing for the race war, we're not. We're just calling it out. We're, we, we see the identity politics. It's everywhere. It's still, I think it's kind of faded. I think we're to a point where people are tired of it. But I think, you know, it's that point where they were pushing it. And then they pushed it hard. And I'll tell you, you know, they're failing. They're failing at driving America to war is the key here. America's war weary. They don't want another war. They can't sell the war with Russia and Ukraine. It's falling flat on its face. They can't sell the war between each other. They can't sell the war between maskers and non-maskers. They can't sell the war between people with, with vaccines and without vaccines. They can't sell it. People don't want war. They're tired. I guarantee you, this guy might be one of the worst dudes on the planet. I mean, he's sitting here and he has absolutely no idea of the cell phones he's putting himself in. Anyway, let's keep going. Despite such far-right associates, associations, his campaign amassed a cult following, uh, Jesus, a cult following among young libertarians and anti-war liberals and a hodgepodge of other political misfits eager to go down the Ron Paul rabbit hole adhering to a decades-long record of ideological consistency. Yeah, well, he was ideologically consistent, which you can't say about most of the people in D.C. Paul opposed the drug war, the Patriot Act, the Iraq invasion, and, of course, the Federal Reserve, though it came with a different political bent. It was the same sort of appeal that later drew throngs of supporters to the presidential primary campaign of Bernie Sanders. Typically, of the following was Charles Hoskinson, an anti-war Republican college student with an interest in monetary policy. Hoskinson organized money bombs, single-day bonanzas of online contributions from small-dollar donors for Paul's campaign. Later, he pitched himself into the, into the scheme that followed Paul for... Followed... Oh, my dog's dreaming in the background over here if you hear something. Uh, he pitched himself into a scheme that allowed Paul supporters to sponsor a blimp that cruised over parts of the East Coast promoting the campaign. Not all of his supporters were young. Spanos, the campaign volunteer who would later meet with uh, Maduro, had nursed a grudge against the American monetary system for 20 years before finding his way to Paul's movement. For him, the trouble began in 1987 when Spanos was working in a real estate in New York, and, in stock, and the stock market crashed. In the ensuing economic fallout, he saw his business prospects crumble. He was forced to take a job on a commercial fishing, on a commercial fishing vessel. He's got some more stuff of the the blimp and everything else up there. Uh, he's got Hoskin uh, down here in the in the pictures. You'll see it if you go go and click on the link. It was around this time that Spanos sent his, uh, in his 20s began to pay closer attention to the newspaper coverage of the economy, especially the Federal Reserve. He was shocked to learn that the vast influence wielded by its chair, Alan Greenspan, and came to blame Greenspan for his predicament. Who the hell is this guy? Spanos had worked, had wondered, as he marveled at the intensity at which the press scrutinized Greenspan's ever, every move. That guy made me a fisherman. I'm going to stop there. Um, Greenspan doesn't make anybody anybody, right? Like Greenspan's just doing what 
banking cabals do. Um, the government indoctrination system is what made you a fisherman. Not that fishing is a bad thing, unless you don't want to be a fisherman. I imagine doing it for a living might get old. But at the same time, um, I, I want to take that pause and just sit there and say, there's there's absolutely um, no truth in in the idea that it's Greenspan's fault. I'm not saying he's not part of the cabal. I'm just saying that it, it, anybody properly um, educated would not um, be in a market and be uh, exposed to those type of attack vectors from uh, from an organization like the Federal Reserve. Right at some point. Uh, you've got to take responsibility. Uh, that's why I tell everybody, read John Taylor Gatto, because when they take you at five years old and they indoctrinate you, uh, you're being set up for enslavement, not failure. Enslavement is what you're being set up for for the rest of your life. Anyway, um, go back and forth between Spanos and all this kind of stuff for a little bit. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm going to skip around a little bit. Oh, yeah. Huckabee at the time called the process goofy. Yeah. No, look at Huckabee and John McCain now. They don't have a Ron Paul following. It's it's crazy. Um, let's move into, we all kind of know what happened with the lead up uh, into the party uh, where police officers uh, removed the Ron Paul delegates from the convention hall. Like it was, it was bad. Um, you know, they were, some people were hospitalized. Like it was, it was no joke when, um, they, they removed all the Ron Paul delegates. It's, it's really, it's ridiculous. Um, let's keep moving, keep moving. Yeah. They still did protests and let's see. Yeah, here we go. I think we're, we're moving into the right area. Um, here we go. The Hubbleu, uh, this was in Shreveport. Uh, we'll kind of pick up here with where this this article is going. Um, and at the other state-level uh, gatherings, set the stage for the 2012 Republican National Convention in Tampa, where Paul hoped to use his delegates to influence the proceedings. Instead, party leaders, Republican party leaders, denied Paul a speaking slot. He was running like number three at that time, replaced some of his delegates with Mitt Romney loyalists and issued rule changes that foreclosed the possibility of future grassroots uprisings. This is what they do. They did it to Ron Paul. This is why I talk about, like, you can use the platform to get in there and disrupt. Good luck winning. I, I mean... These people, their rules, their the, the fact that they own the damn, um, you know, voting machines, the polls, the software—like, you're not going to get a fair shake. It's you're going to have to win in such a damn landslide that nobody can even approach your election. That's it. Like that's that's what it is. Incensed, many of Paul's supporters staged a noisy protest from the convention floor. One of the Paul delegates raising a ruckus was Tyler Lindholm. And I'm going to pause here. Tyler Lindholm is a friend of mine. He's a great guy. Um, I want to say he was the either minority or majority whip, probably majority whip out in Wyoming. Um, 
and just a, a stellar guy. You're going to you're going to hear a little bit more about Tyler um, here and maybe I'll talk about him as the article goes on. But uh, he was a young activist from Wyoming. He had used the trip to Tampa as an occasion to pick fights about economics with another delegate, Rep. Cynthia Loomis, the chair of Romney's Wyoming campaign. Lindholm was surprised to find that Loomis, a former state treasurer, shared many of his views. After a couple of days of back and forth, Loomis tossed Lindholm her credentials, which granted access to the convention floor. Lindholm took the opportunity to raise hell on behalf of Paul. Johnson was in Tampa. Um, yeah, and you know what's funny is, I guess, uh, Lindholm and Cynthia are actually working together now. Cynthia uh, Loomis is a senator from Wyoming, and Tyler is her um, advisor on Bitcoin. And she's one of the, I think she might be the most outspoken uh, senator on the Hill uh, about adoption of Bitcoin. So it's kind of cool. Anyway, um, Johnson was in Tampa too. After the drama of the Louisiana convention, he found the carefully choreographed RNC depressing. Quote, I realized, wow, this is what it's like to be inside of a giant commercial. He said the whole experience left him uh, with his, and his compatriots demoralized. That's the sort of journey a lot of us went on, he said, and realized that there's no reforming the political system, right? They're like, okay, we're there. We, we are now to why this is so important. Why the divorce of money and state is so damn important. Joining the cypherpunks, while many of Paul's followers did give up on his, on, did give up on politics, they were not only radicals, who had been vying to implement a, a libertarian monetary order. Since the early 1990s, a group of computer coders centered around Northern California and calling themselves cypherpunks had been discussing ways to empower individuals over governments in cyberspace. Like Paul, many of the cypherpunks had been influenced by the Austrian school with its emphasis on the virtues of gold-backed currency, free of state control, Particularly relevant was The Decentralization of Money, a 1976 book by Nobel laureate Frederick Hyatt, the rare Austrian school member, to win mainstream acclaim in which he argued that the private currencies should be permitted to freely compete with one another. That's the end of that paragraph, but um, just wanted to take a second. Like this, this is one of those things where some people saw a a really huge opportunity, right? We had gone through a, a huge, huge crash in 2007, 2008, um, 2009 even, and then started recovering again. 2012 came along and like these guys were already like, they were already working in 2008. They were in their early 1990s, obviously, but they were, they were really coming into their own in that time. And that's when obviously uh, Satoshi Nakamoto was born. I should say born, is when he released the, uh, the, 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 the Bitcoin uh, white paper. Unlike Paul, the cypherpunks believed the answer was to create a new form of digital money using computer code. One of them, Nick Szabo, had proposed a system called BitGold, an early attempt at digital money. In the late 90s, Szabo went on to endure Paul's 2008 presidential bid. Uh, or I should say endorse his bid, sorry. Not long after, 
uh, synonymous coder going by the norm du jour, Sashi uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, released Bitcoin, the world's first successful cryptocurrency because the system was peer-to-peer and empowered cryptography in clever ways. No single entity could control it, and it was impractical for any government to shut it down. The system, built of bit gold and other primitive efforts to create digital cash, and it is often speculated that Sabo is Nakamoto, though Sabo, Ross, uh, uh, the Sabo was repeatedly has repeatedly denied it. So, um, it's I don't know. I guess still up in the air. Only some people. I don't know. Best kept secret on earth. Really, the best kept secret on earth is the one you don't tell anybody. Mm. Excuse me, I had to grab a little bit of a drink. Whoever it was, Bitcoin's inventor was closely tied to the cypherpunks and critical of the ties between government and banking systems. Inserted <clears throat> into the first block of Bitcoin transaction data is a Times of London headline about a bailout of British banks. At first, Bitcoin was a little more than a project among lobbyists, a libertarian science project, as Spanos called it. But by the time of Paul's second presidential primary defeat a few years later, it had generated hundreds of news articles that reached market cap in the tens of millions of dollars. As Paul's supporters mulled their loss, many found their way to Bitcoin and came to pin their remaining hopes on the curious new software system. For Johnston, the life-changing moment come at a reunion of Paul's Louisiana supporters shortly after the campaign when someone turned to him and remarked that the price of Bitcoin had again reached $10. Johnston had never heard of it, but he had heard the, the concept explained. He quickly became sold on it. His experiences hunting for Paul delegates in the state had been like a libertarian's worst nightmare thwarted uh, first by an uncontrollable central power and then by the state's monopoly on violence as he regarded the police efforts at the crowd control. By contrast, cryptocurrency sounded like a libertarian dream, a method of undermining central power that seemed immune to government crackdown. It doesn't work in politics because ultimately someone's willing to point a gun and stop these movements, he said, but there's nowhere to point a gun at Bitcoin. Johnson resolved to convert his life savings into cryptocurrency. At that time, this in, this entailed driving to Walmart day after day to transfer a daily limit of several thousands of dollars to a middleman in Japan who then purchased Bitcoin on an early online exchange. When Johnston told his wife, Kalia, that he had poured their life savings into a volatile libertarian money experiment, she responded, you forgot to convert our retirement savings Kyla Johnson had campaigned for Paul too. Within months, Johnson had, uh, was working on crypto full-time. He co-founded an investor network for blockchain technology and co-authored an influential paper on decentralized application, or dApps, programs that uses Bitcoin's underlying technology to carry out more complex tasks. And you start to see uh, gatherings, Bitcoin Center in New York City. The next... Uh, subtitle here it was a form of activism it took spanos longer to see the light he first came to the contact uh, he first came into contact with cryptocurrency in 2010 when he exchanged a ron paul internet domain uh, 
internet domain name to which he held the rights for some Bitcoin. Spanos did not think much of the digital currency and lost track of his virtual hoard on an old discarded laptop. So many stories like that. He said, uh, I, I wasn't smeagling it. I wasn't smeagling it, he explained. Smeagling uh, a reference to the uh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, Smeagol, the guy that, you know, my precious and all that kind of stuff. For those of you guys that aren't um, Lord of the Rings dorks out there. He explained the meaning obsessively of guarding it. A reference to the J.R.R. Oh, there you go. The J.R.R. Tolkien character who became bewitched by a magical golden ring. During Paul's second campaign, Spanos traveled to a dozen states setting up phone banks when the when he returned home to New York, devastated by another loss, he began to take Bitcoin more seriously. On Monday evening, Spanos would wander over to the Union Square Park for weekly gatherings in which enthusiasts bought and sold Bitcoins by verbally uh, bantering and then settling their transactions on a laptop tethered to the internet via the cell phone. It was a decidedly slap-a-dash setup and... That's the first time I've ever heard that term uh, set up. And the whole thing felt vaguely illicit. Oh, yeah. People having peaceful interactions. It all felt illicit. God almighty. Participants would pull the rims of their hats low over their faces. We wouldn't ask anyone their name, Spanos recalled. From my perspective, it was a form of activism. The regular meetup, which came to be dubbed the Satoshi Square, recalled the earliest forms of financial markets when traders would convene informally outdoors to haggle over the securities. In New York in the 18th century, it is said that such gatherings took place under the buttonwood tree in Wall Street in the neighborhood that has since become the heart of the global financial system. That's where Spanos took his Bitcoin activism next. Stationed on the sidewalk by the imposing bronze statue of George Washington, Spanos and a group of Confederates would proclaim the gospel of Bitcoin to brokers leaving the New York Exchange, goading them to try out crypto. Who's next? Who's next for Bitcoin? Spanos would call out, channeling his childhood experience hawking photographs to tourists at Rockefeller Center. Are you next? A heavyset man with a goatee, Spanos tends to spot bow ties and eyeglasses with a slight yellowish tint. He speaks with the accent of his native queens. His distinctive presentation, along with his uh, energetic activism, made him a conspicuous, a conspicuous face of Bitcoin in the media and financial capital world. At the end of 2013, he established Bitcoin Center NYC, with the headquarters in the heart of the financial district. Soon after, the center helped Rep. Steve Stockman, a Tea Party Republican from Texas, craft his first piece of cryptocurrency legislation introduced in Congress, which would have imposed a moratorium on regulation if it had been passed. Um, yeah, let's see. How much more do we have here? Man, it's a long article. This might be a two-part article, people. I don't know. It's it's too good to just kind of let go. Um, let's see. What are we running at now? We're already running at 56. Maybe this last uh, section, and maybe I'll do a part two on this article because it's it's kind of a fun article. Um, it's a lot of back and forth, um, you know, name-calling and all that kind of stuff that gets into uh, Bitcoin and crypto and all that. You know, not the, the same, but I think that's... We're at 56 minutes. There's no way I'm going to get through the rest of that. 
at any rate, um, I think this is probably yeah, we're fifty six. We're we're gonna call it. We're gonna we're gonna do a part two, and all you guys are going, oh man, um, yeah. Well, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need a cliffhanger. Sometimes in life you need to wait. Low time preference. Bitcoin. Oh man, I love when everything kind of just comes together at the end of the show, and you get to wrap that nice bow on everything. And, you know, like I listen there. I, I get it going, oh man, there's going to be uh, a part two we can't just finish now. No, you're going to have to wait. This is just this is the way it's going to have to be. I've got uh, I've got the rest of this article uh, I'll do for you guys uh, probably next week. Um, really don't want to do it uh, from the Bitcoin conference, and I don't know that I'll have time to do it uh, before I get out of here to get down there uh, later in the week. But with that said, um, I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. If you're in uh, Miami uh, Friday and Saturday, let me know. Um, maybe we can get together, have a drink. I'm uh, going to be meeting up with a bunch of really great Bitcoiners down there uh, and and trying to you know learn as much as I can outside of what I already know. And that's the thing uh, about this space. There is, there's always something to learn, always. And if you're excited, you know, about learning, if you find your passion in this world, you're going to do this kind of stuff. I, I really, I hope, you know, that's where you guys are on. I hope that's the path you're on. I hope you're, I hope you're excited about learning something. I hope you're excited about finding something new out about this crazy world that can do good in this world, not only for yourself, but for other people and generations to come. You know, as I as I look at this and, you know, as I talked about my, my kids in my last show, you know, a lot of kids are going to inherit debt and taxes and enslavement in this world. They are. It's just a, it's a matter of fact. Um, with what D.C. and the Federal Reserve has done to future generations, they are set up for debt and taxes and enslavement if nothing comes into this picture. What if you could leave your kids a deflationary asset, a deflationary money that becomes more financially sound? And I should say it's not even, it can't, uh, it's already financially sound. That's why it's worth something. I don't, I have to sometimes catch myself. That becomes more valuable and more rare over time. You're talking about setting up generations in the future to not only capitalize on the work that you've done, but to be able to avoid the enslavement, the taxes, and everything else that goes along with this god-awful corrupt system that we have now that's put on by the murder cult. That's one of the reasons I'm doing it. It's generational wealth so that my kids, their kids, the people around us are freer. If you want to get excited about something, I got to tell you, the more you dive into this, the more you learn about it, the more that you understand who these people are, this community, the, the amazing things that they're doing, not for themselves, but for other people. And they know the dangers that come with it in the long run. The 
beautiful thing is, like they said earlier in this article, is they got a they got no guns to point at any source to to make the stop. They don't know how to do it. Can't be done. And it is going to change this world for the better. Might be a little sketchy in between, as we know these guys are uh, megalomaniac murderers with all the money in the world right now. This becoming less and less valuable by the day. Less and less power by the day, by the hour. I don't know if you want to be part of that. If you're in this crowd, I think you do. Anyway, I will link this all in the show notes. I hope to see some of you guys down at uh, the Bitcoin conference and outside of that. Have a great weekend. I will see you guys here next week. I love you. I need you. Peace. Um, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.